I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by Environmental Tillage Systems. In today's program, we get some insight into the origins of a Nebraska custom strip-till business and early fertilizer and equipment experiments. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Environmental Tillage Systems for their support of this podcast series. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact ETS to discuss how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at www.soilwarrior.com. Well, pairing precision technology with strip-till was an opportunistic combination for Ty Fickenshire. The owner of Upward Ag Systems, a precision consulting business in Axtell, Nebraska, he started offering custom strip-till to local farmers as a way to expand business, along with a smarter way to farm. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, part one of two, supported by Environmental Tillage Systems, we share excerpts from our recent conversation with Ty about his entry point into the practice, some of the early evolutions of his equipment, and opportunities to expand the practice. Thanks for, for that intro. Yeah, we started back in July of 2014 is when we started the business. We actually started as a precision ag consulting business. Uh, we have a lot of irrigation in this area, so we did a lot with moisture probes, also with fertilizer scripts, seeding scripts, you know, analysis, postseason analysis, things like that. In the fall of 15, um, we had the opportunity to work with one of our neighbors. Um, they were looking to make a switch from liquid to dry strip till. And in the conversation with them, they really wanted to have somebody help them with that. And it kind of worked well with what we've been doing with fertilizer scripts and whatnot, you know, kind of a site-specific application of nutrients and really looked at the, the strip till as a good way to maybe look at how we can approach that differently, you know, whether it's reducing nutrients, you know, trying different nutrients in the strip, you know, things like that. Uh, so the July of 15, we actually started out with uh, doing our first strip till. Um, that fall, we did about 2,100 acres. Uh, it was a good launch. We learned a lot of things, uh, especially not what to do um, that first year, but it was uh, good to kind of get the business going anyway. Uh, since that time, we've used anywhere from two to three machines uh, in the season, and we focus mostly on dry fertilizer application. Um, we do just a little bit of anhydrous application and trying to cut back on that for a number of reasons, but um, you know, really focusing on the dry, you know, cheaper sources of, of nutrients per pound of nutrient. Um, and then we also have the, the ability to handle that dry very, very easily as well. So uh, that's kind of been the evolution of our, of our business in, in relate or how it relates to strip till anyway. So thinking about kind of some of the early reasons, you know, why you were looking at the practice, you know, what, what were you seeing as kind of some of the motivating factors, you know, in terms of, uh, farmers that you were working with, uh, you know, through Upward Egg Systems, just, uh, I guess, interest in, you know, that transition or wanting to try to explore, I guess, try out strip-till? You know, the reasons vary. I mean, each customer is kind of interesting. Each customer, when I talk to them, they, there's not necessarily one answer that's a boilerplate answer from the customers, um, whether it's, you know, in the fall, a labor issue, 
Um, one of our larger customers, he said he just didn't want to own the extra equipment, you know, have that extra equipment expense. Um, you know, by and large, most of them want to want to use strip till to help with residue management and work on increasing yields in the corn on corn situation. So I'd say those are probably when it comes down to it, you know, aside from the logistic issues that there might be and capital issues, um, coming down to it agronomically, you know, it's making that clean seed bed and really getting um, less of a corn yield lag, if you will, and a corn on corn versus a corn on bean situation. So I'd say those are probably the two, the two that really kind of come to the surface and in, in most of the conversations we have. Well, you mentioned uh, 2015 strip tilling 2,100 acres and, you know, kind of learning some of those early lessons. Uh, can you talk about, you know, just some of the things that you were able to uh, assess or, or take away out of that first year experience? Well, the machine setup was probably the, the biggest thing. You know, we had, we had a lot of struggles getting the machine to work the way we wanted to. I, I, every year we learned something new about how we can make the machines operate a little bit better. Um, with the machine we started out with, we had a terrible issue with, you know, with residue plugging up in high residue situations. You know, we come down, we, we changed some things on how the machine was set up. We increased our speed, which was probably the, the biggest factor that helped us, um, one, get across more acres, but then two, uh, leave a better strip in the, in the field as well. Uh, so those are probably two things we learned, learned the first year that really had to be addressed right away. So what have you found is, has been kind of the, uh, the optimal speed, you know, and timing of getting out there for customers to get that strip till operation done? Well, as far as timing, you know, we've, we've been fortunate, at least in this area, the last few years we've had good moisture in the spring. Um, so really fall, fall to spring, we haven't seen a, a, disparate, uh, a discrepancy, if you will, um, between how both of those timings perform. I think this year, with as dry as we've been, I really think that fall is going to probably work out to be a better timing. Um, now, as far as speed, you know, with with the shank, we've had to be careful. We, we if we go too fast, we tend to burn the points off, uh, create excess heat, and, and they don't wear quite as well. But um, if we're running a shank, you know, that six to seven mile an hour, uh, we did go up to seven and a half mile an hour this year with shanks, probably about the top end that we want to go. Um, that really works the soil the best. It you know the the mole knife is able to heave that soil the best, and we get a lot more action, uh, a lot more tillage action going on. If we're running just coulters, you know, we try to do that eight to 10 mile an hour. I know of a couple of guys running coulters, they'll run 12 mile an hour. Um, you've really got to be on top of your game, I think, if you're going, you know, that fast with that kind of equipment. But that eight to 10 mile an hour, it seems like it does the best job. You know, we get more, you know, the, the soil is suspended more. We get better incorporation of fertilizer um, and, and, the, and the soil breaks down you know, better with that speed as well. So, you know, those two situations, that's kind of what we come down to as being, you know, ideal, ideal speeds anyway. So when you're building those berms, how, uh, how wide and, and deep are you going in terms of the actual strips that you're building? And then hoping you could talk a little bit about just kind of the nutrient application side and, uh, you know, what you're typically applying and, and how much, you know, in that strip and, and how deep are you kind of going with that, that nutrient application? Yeah, so as far as the width of the of the strip, you know, we shoot that eight to ten inches is about the width that we leave. Um, gives a little little room for the customer coming back to the planter if they're off just a little bit. It's not you know not a big deal necessarily. We want to try to keep it centered on the strip at planting if possible, but you know, gives a little more wiggle room there. 
you know, with the depth, with the knife, the shank, we're, we're shooting to go um, eight to 10 inches typically. You know, it's not going to be a ripper necessarily, but we're wanting to get as much of the hard pin broken up as we can. With the Coulter, you know, we're probably looking more at that, you know, six to eight. Um, eight would be ideal, getting those Coulters running through there. Um, you know, we're not necessarily looking to break up a hard pin, really making uh, more of a U-shaped trough for the, for the roots to grow into in that situation. Really, you know, personally, I prefer the, the Coulter, you know, getting that U-shaped trough versus, say, a V-shaped trough. You know, if we do happen to have uh, events where there could be more runoff, we see less issues with uh, water finding a groove in the, in the U-shaped trough than the V-shaped. So, you know, with the nutrient application, it varies quite a little bit. Most of what we're putting on is phosphorus. You know, in this area, we have pretty high potassium levels, so we don't focus as much on potassium. Uh, if we do put out some potassium, you know, it might be 50 pounds or so. You know, phosphorus we'll put on, uh, say, a, of actual phosphorus, we'll put on, say, 75 to 125 pounds of actual phosphorus. Uh, most of that is very variably applied with the uh, script. Um, we'll get some sulfur zinc added in there. Um, in the spring, we'll put down some more urea. And the one thing we found with that is we really, on the liquid side, we're you know, like, like I said, we don't do liquid, but we have some customers that do. On the liquid side, um, you have a little more flexibility. Um, you can put on some higher rates of nitrogen with liquid. Um, we have had a couple instances where we got high rates of urea. And, uh, you know, really 100 pounds of, of nitrogen as urea is about the maximum we want to put out there. Um, we get much over that, and we have had a couple issues where, you know, it would uh, the free ammonia would actually cause some seed issues if, if the planting was done too close behind the behind the machine. So again, one of those things we've kind of learned learned the hard way, but we have learned and and you know kind of adapt and overcome and you know we work with the customer in those situations to make sure that you know they have a good experience and want to invite us back onto the farm later. So thinking about those interactions you've you've had with customers um, and obviously uh, you know from a business standpoint, you know, you certainly want to uh, develop their business, retain their business, you know, make sure that strip till is a good fit for their operation. And obviously there's some level of interest that they've had in wanting to, uh, to utilize the practice. I'm wondering if you could, you know, maybe share an example or two, um, you know, of circumstances where, um, you know, you've had those conversations with customers and, you know, trying to define exactly, you know, what are their expectations, you know, with strip till and then, you know, how do you go about, about meeting those? And, and I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, conversation just about, well, you know, strip till is, is a multi-year system. You know, you can't just do it a year and then expect to achieve all the results that you're looking to accomplish. And you do have to kind of make that investment of, of time and, and in some cases capital. Um, so I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, when you're talking with, with customers, um, you know, how are those conversations kind of shaped so that, uh, you know, the results are going to kind of meet their expectations over that timeline. You know, as I think to the customers we have, you know, most of the, the customers we work with, they've done strip till some, some form in the past. Um, I can think of only maybe a couple that had, have not done strip till. Um, the difference is the machine they use to do it. I mean, I, I can test there's only about three machines on the market um, that will actually do the type of tillage that we, that we want to see with the strip till. Um, and, and we're running a couple of them ourselves, you know, fortunately. So, you know, having the conversation with them, you know, we, we talked about the nutrient savings, you know, 
and there's reports out there that you know you can cut a considerable amount of nutrients uh, applied compared to say a broadcast application. You know, we'll take a look at maybe a 25% reduction um, in nutrients by being able to put it in the strip and feeding the roots instead of trying to build the soil. You know, that that's you know, you look at 25% and commodity prices right now or, or the fertilizer prices, that's substantial savings. And then we look at, you know, if, we're, if they're traditionally putting on liquid, you know, pound for pound, if we switch over to dry, what, what are we looking at saving? Um, I guess a good example of that is one of our customers that switched from liquid to dry. You know, his, his switch pound for pound from liquid to dry actually paid our application charge. You know, so for him, it was a no-brainer. He didn't have to get the equipment. He was paying, you know, the same he would have uh, um, just purchasing the product, and he, and he didn't have to worry about getting the, the labor or have the time to be able to go out and do it. So, I said the conversations are, are kind of wide and varied depending on what the customer's experience has been. But you know, having that conversation about what are the what are the advantages? You know, there's really, from my standpoint, I'm obviously very biased. There's very few drawbacks to doing strip till, um, aside from you know what we might be using in, in fuel and whatnot, but. Um, reducing passes across the field, um, reducing, possibly reducing the amount of nutrients that are needed, um, or using those more efficiently, the, the nutrients that might not be reduced, using those more efficiently to produce a, uh, a healthier and more profitable crop. So how much are, are you measuring metrics or, or kind of uh, results, you know, for customers that you work with, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of ways to measure the success of strip till, whether it's you know, soil health improvement, um, you know, nutrient efficiency, uh, yield increase, or, or just uh, consistency. You know, are, are there some, some measurable things that, that you're kind of seeing or taking away or, you know, been able to kind of point to for customers um, when it comes to uh, their investment in, in the system? Unfortunately, I mean, being a precision guy, I'm kind of embarrassed to say we haven't really analytically analyzed this, uh, a lot of this. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, when we're working with these guys, a lot of times it's an all or none and it's very anecdotal. They, they say, you know, I've seen a, that, that 20 bushel an acre difference from corn on corn to corn on beans went away. Um, they, you know, they like planting in the strip, you know, it's just a much more, a much better experience. And they don't see those row units bouncing like they would and say a no-till situation. You know, I'd say those are probably the two that typically always come up is, is the reduced yield drag. And I hate using that, that term. It's very, very misleading. But if there's a reduction in yield in one system, this, this tends to help uh, dissipate that you know, a little bit. And then just the plantability, you know, getting the crop up, you know, even emergence. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last five, five to 10 years about getting a uniform emergence and getting the, the nutrients down where the, where the roots are going to get to it. So like I said, it's probably been more an, anecdotal than, than analytical uh, in getting the information from the customers, but uh, all in all the experience and the feedback we're getting has been overwhelmingly positive. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for making this podcast possible. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact ETS to discuss how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at www.soilwarrior.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Ty Fickenscher on the scope and success of his custom strip-till business, along with integrating cover crops into the mix. 
Expanding a little bit on, on kind of the scope of the custom business, can can you you know talk a little bit about the number of customers, how many acres you're you're typically you know getting out to to cover in an average year, and you know maybe even a little bit of the the economics of that. I know we've talked to some other uh, farmers that you know have adopted strip till maybe on a small number of acres on their own farm, but you know kind of primarily they're looking to. Um, you know, almost be ambassadors of the practice, you know, from a, a business standpoint in the region and, uh, you know, helping people kind of get into that. And I know you said, you know, a number of people you're working with have had some experience with strip till, but obviously, you know, they have their reasons for wanting to continue it more in, in that custom uh, application or, or uh, performance uh, avenue. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I was really, when we started this, I really thought that what we were doing is going to be more, geared more for the, you know, thousand acre and less type operation. And in this part of the world, um, I'd say that our average farm size is, is somewhere around that 1,800 to 2,000 acres, you know, within 20 miles of us here. Um, I was really surprised. I actually did put the numbers to it here uh, almost two years ago and figured out it was like 88% of our customers farm 2,500 acres or more. Um, so it's actually geared more towards the larger, the larger operations. Um, you know, and again, it goes back to what I thought was going to be more time and labor was the issue. Um, we had a couple of guys say it's just the equipment expense. They didn't want to add, you know, they wanted to put their money into other equipment. And as long as we kept a well-maintained, you know, lineup of equipment, did a good job for them, then they didn't really need to go down that road. Um, you know, typically, depending on the year, you know, we're looking to do uh, fourteen to 16,000 acres of strip till um, and in about a 100-mile radius. We have, you know, like I said, most of the guys, uh, most of the customers we work with, you know, we do all or none sort of thing with them. Um, we do have a handful where, you know, I might come in and do a quarter or two or something like that, just kind of, you know, field they're wanting to address uh, that's had issues. Maybe it's a tight soil. They've had production issues. They want to see if they can kind of change that or, you know, it's a specialty deal. I know one guy we do some for, he is on 36 inch rows, but he also grows seed corn and he needs 30 inch rows put out at that point. So, you know, we'll come in and strip till that so they can, so they can plant on that for the seed corn. So, um, but yeah, pretty wide and varied, but I'd say all in all, you know, looking at that larger operation that, you know, they just don't want the equipment expenses, what it's kind of come down to. Well, that, that's a good segue kind of into the uh, equipment conversation here. And, uh, you know, you mentioned early on having some challenges, you know, with getting getting the, the rig set up correctly or just kind of getting the performance that you wanted. Um, you know, talk a little bit about kind of your, your selection and, and how, you know, you came about, you know, using the machines that you're using now. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you're, you're running a few ETS units, but, um, you know, just maybe share a little bit about kind of your mindset and, and, you know, how you, you know, wanted to, uh, I guess, match the performance of the machines that you're taking out to customers' farms with, you know, the expectations that you and also they have as far as, you know, the system working. Right. Yeah. So when we started, we start, started with the one machine, the 12 row machine. And with that one, it's pretty fixed. I and mean, we had, you know, we had the, the lead coulter, the shank, the rolling basket, the containment coulters. And there wasn't much we could do um, necessarily to modify that, you know, especially if we're looking at any sort of trade in value maintaining, I guess. Um, so when we looked at, you know, at that machine, there's a few things we did change, you know, to kind of help with, with performance in the field. Um, after I'm trying to think now is probably a year and a half is when we started uh, having conversations with ETS and looking at their, their setup. 
And looking at that one, the thing I really liked is the flexibility or the adaptability of the machine. Uh, so for example, you know, we got a machine that had the shank on it and when we looked at going in the spring, you know, in wet conditions, we needed the option to be able to pull the shank and, and still be able to get the work done and do a good job. And what was amazing with that is for two springs in a row there, we actually took, pulled the shank off, just ran with one lead coulter and the job, you know, the, in fact, one agronomist that checks one of the fields, he said in that county it was the toughest, tightest soil that he checks in that county. And after we went through and strip tilled that just with the coulter, he said it was just like planting into a, a garden. Um, he said he'd never seen conditions like that for that field. So it kind of spoke to even if we're pulling components off, we can still do a really good job and leave a, uh, leave a strip or zone that the, the farmer is happy to plant into. But we did some other things with, uh, you know, when we started working with ETS, we set one that machine up to do put in cover crop as well. And really it was, it came from the factory with that intention. It had that set up. We just had to add a few parts to be able to uh, accomplish that. Um, and we've done that for a feedlot and a few of the neighbors, you know, getting some rye, uh, quote, drilled, if you will, while we're strip tilling. Um, and that's been, uh, you know, that's been a really good, uh, all a good uh, offering to provide to the customer uh, to really, like I said, reinforce reducing the number of trips across the field. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, Ty, if you could kind of expand on, on that a little bit. Um, you know, I know talking with, with some other strip tillers, you know, they've liked the idea, been hopeful of the idea to kind of combine, you know, strip tilling and cover crop application. And I know a few have um, been successful in doing that, but could you, you know, walk me through a little bit more of, you know, kind of how that, that system is working for you and, and customers? Because, you know, that does seem like a very efficient uh combination there and, and kind of very natural in terms of being able to, like you said, combine those passes, you know, uh, maximize, you know, that trip through the field. Um, so yeah, I'd love to just maybe hear a little bit more on, on how you have that set up. Yeah. So when we first started, we, if we wanted to do cover crop with strip till, um, what we were doing is we'd drill in the fall after the crop came off, you know, let it grow through the winter, um, when it was growing anyway, and then come in in the spring and, and then strip till into it. Um, you know, we did that the first year and actually the, the fields we did on mostly sandy fields, but it just, I mean, it made a night and day difference. You know, the crop responded to it, the soils held down, the nutrients were there. You know, every benefit you can think of from cover crop was uh, amplified by, you know, having the strip till with the fertilizer put out there. After that first year, we, we had one of our feedlot customers that asked if we could just do it in one pass. And the first year, all we did is we, we blew it on the surface in front of the toolbar between the row units. And that worked, you know, we had great stand. Um, you know, rye is a very hardy crop. I mean, it, I, you know, a relative of wheat, and they say you have to kill wheat nine times before it'll make a crop. So um, it'll sit out there and as long as you get moisture on it sometime, you know, before spring, it'll take off and do what you want it to do. Uh, the issue we had with that blowing on the surface is we we're getting some you know, splatter where the, where the seed would get into the strip. And we really didn't want that to happen. So after that first year, uh, we worked with the company that makes a high speed fertilizer opener and we made our own brackets and we stuck it in the back between uh, the containment coulter and the rolling basket on that soil warrior row unit. And by doing that, after we go through the field, I mean, it just looked like somebody had taken a drill and drilled the crop on 15 inch centers. I mean, it, it had a great stand, no splatter, um, you know, we come back and we plant right between the rows in the spring. I mean, it was just really kind of the ideal, ideal setup. So, 
Um, that's kind of been the evolution and, and what we've done with that. Um, I think, you know, we're looking at a way we can redesign that to maybe not be to where the row unit wouldn't be built quite as stout with the bracket and that high-speed fertilizer opener that we built. You know, each one of those is about 100 pounds. So when you're adding almost a ton of weight to that toolbar, it's, it's a lot extra hanging back there. So looking at different ways we can kind of modify that to, you know, be lighter but still accomplish drilling that crop as we're, as we're doing the strip till. So is this is this modified uh, on a, a twelve row soil worry, or is that how this has been retrofit? So we put it on a we've got a forty five forty, which is a it's a forty foot, so sixteen row, and it's got three dry tanks on it. So we've got um, we've got the two large tanks are the front and back, and there's a smaller tank in the middle. And that smaller tank in the middle is the one that we commit to what I'll call surface application. So we we put not only do we put the cover crop on, but in the fall also, or in the spring rather, uh, we'll also put down some fertilizer through that in the surface application as well, if, if needed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's set up. It's, I think, you know, besides being a 24, it's the largest running gear that, that ETS makes and the largest tank setup that ETS makes that we've um, used for that, for that setup. Did you say that was a 16 row or a 24 row? 16 row. 16. Yep. Okay, and, and is that primarily uh, cereal rye then that, that you're make that you're applying? Yeah, mostly mostly cereal rye. I'm trying to think if we put, um, you know, well, and, and in that in the instance of the feedlot, we're actually putting oats um, in the strip. You know, so the oats would grow in the fall and then winter kill. Um, so when you come back and plant, you just had a little bit of root mass, but it really held that sandy soil down very well. Um, but yeah, mostly cereal rye. You know, wheat could definitely be used, but um, we haven't gotten. Uh, I'm trying to think if we put. I don't think we put any turnips or radishes or vetch or you know any cocktails or anything like that in yet. So with with that application, then I'm guessing then you know that's that's something you're offering to to customers. You know, is kind of a, a companion to making that strip till pass. Um, you know, I was curious. You know, how how you guys uh, kind of charge for that? Then is that kind of something that you'll combine, or is that something that you'll say, hey, you know, we can also. Uh, you know, uh, apply some cover uh, when we're making that strip till pass for you in the fall. Yeah, it's there's a premium charge to it, but you know, if you looked at doing two applications, um, you know, looking at forty, fifty dollars an acre, if it's two applications, and we're still well under that by making one pass and doing those two operations by getting fertilizer, the seed, and the strip out there. So, um, you know, we do have kind of a, a scale that we, you know, that we charge depending on what we're doing and, and the extra time that it would take. And um, it's been, you know, again, very being able to do that, that one pass, uh, multiple applications in one pass, all of the, all of the guys we've talked to about, they understand, you know, what we're doing and, and what we're charging for it anyway. So. Well, thank you, Ty, for sharing some of your initial experience with Striptail and the evolution of your custom business. And again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me a line at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest Strip-Till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. 
for Ty Fickenshirt, Environmental Tillage Systems, and our entire staff at Strip Till Farmer. I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.